Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. This is the Vice Guide to Right Now, your inside look into the best of vice. It's Friday, May 10th. I'm Sophie Casas. Today, we're examining stan culture and the impact of social media on the way that we judge music. The role of the critic has basically always been debated. But today's social media landscape, where fans and super fans are emboldened by the celebrity Twitter cycle, is taking this debate to new levels. More and more, it seems that critics are being criticized for being critical. ID journalist Kieran Devlin writes about this phenomenon and its origins in stan culture, which is the social media version of super fandom. He describes a climate where a critic's career could even be in danger if they don't show absolute reverence for the artist they're discussing. So in that heightened context, what is the role of the critic? I've got Devlin on the line to find out. Hi, Karen. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you for calling in. Yeah, no no problem. Uh, Delighted to be here. Yeah, so start us off with a brief explanation of stan culture. What is it? Well, I guess it's something that's always been around uh, to an extent and through the past few decades, as long as there's been celebrities and there's been artists, especially in pop music, there's always been super fans. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's obviously popularized by Eminem's song, Stan. Okay. So there's some people that, that dispute that as the the origin of it. But um, I think, yeah, so the, the idea is that they're just, these are, super fans who they're really really passionate about these artists who they absolutely adore their work and they they bond and communicate with other super fans and and social media uh, has been such a good tool for super fans to find you know find that vehicle for finding each other right so th- there are these communities of stands of super fans online you know on twitter and sometimes what this looks like is it, it ends up with these kinds of online feuds. Mm. Can you give us some examples of how stan culture has come up recently in the media? You wrote about Lizzo specifically and um, Justin Bieber and, and Nicki Minaj. Can you talk about some of those examples? Yeah, of course. Um, so the re- recent one was a Lizzo uh, just just over a week ago. There was a pitchfork review of her new album um, where they gave it a 6.5, which is, isn't a bad score by any means. It's quite a decent score. Mm-hmm. She posted about it uh, on Twitter, saying that re- reviewers who don't also make music should be unemployed. And her stands naturally came to her defence, saying the reviewer don't understand it, the reviewers are unworthy, or stuff along those lines. It was similar when uh, Ariana Grande and Justin Bieber performed together at this year's Coachella, where it was actually, it wasn't actually a blogger, but it was someone on the E-Network, 
made made a comment that their performance was uh, was underprepared and it was a bit uh, clunky. So they also put a thread out there, um, mm-hmm. criticizing the the commenter, and the, the the more recent one that has been really quite insidious and quite malicious was Lauren Mabry at churches, um, who she criticised the EDM artist Marshmallow for collaborating with Chris Brown in the wake of the Chris Brown's history with domestic abuse, and right. since Chris Brown and his fan base have been sending her death threats and sexual assault threats. It's it's intense. It gets intense. And um, in your story for ID, you talked about how this culture of super fandom online is really affecting how people think about the role of the critic, of the music journalist. And I want to start off by asking, like, how is this situation that we're in right now different than perhaps older conversations about what is the purpose of criticism? I mean, that conversation has been going on forever. Yeah. So what's different now? I think the the role of the critic hasn't changed, but the expectation on the critic has. The the sense of power and the dynamic has shifted between journalist and the artist, mm-hmm. especially in pop music, where it's just the just by virtue of getting the interview or getting the cover for the magazine, getting the cover star for a magazine. That's the that's the get rather than you know the get isn't for the artist to make it to a cover or to get that interview. So it's now there's an expectation that there's there should be grat, grat, gratitude from the journalist's perspective that they should be mm. for the opportunity to interview these people and the way they express that gratitude is by showing them adulation and buying into the narrative around them of like the real positivity and there's all the I guess that there's always some degree of sincerity, but you could argue there's some sort of full performance to everything, that there should, should always be a claim, and otherwise you're just giving out bad vibes if you criticise them or criticise their art. And I feel like the idea of like stand culture has really sort of consolidated that because it is, you know, in the same way, there's an echo chamber for politics. Stand chamber can be an echo chamber because it is just such relentless uncompromising positivity around the art, your favorite artist right so that any idea where that bubble is threatened it sort of clap back um from the artist and the stand culture has sort of affected that so the journalists now they effectively have to be considered as uh, another form of like pr as just a, a part of the PR mm. cycle rather than necessarily as a critic to discuss the art in itself or criticize the artist for any sort of like moral responsibility they might have. Right. I mean, it's kind of counter to what a critic is if there's no room for criticism yeah. or analysis. And you talked about how it's not just in publicity terms that this power dynamic is shifting between mm. artist and critic, but also economically mm. um, and how like in some instances, journalists jobs could even be threatened by this type of this type of culture. Can you talk about what you see happening there? Of course. Um, so as as we, we all know, the the me, me, new media is, is going through quite a tough period at the moment. And so, yeah, <laughs> we do know that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and since like ad, ad, ad revenue through through websites and through new media has declined so drastically, the margins are so thin. And some artists' groups are so large where if there's like a soft power there where if for uh, just for an example, for like a big 
um, fashion magazine has Nicki Minaj on the cover. She's in our rights to ask for the interview questions beforehand. She can ask for final copy approvals so that she can ask to see all the various different like uh, images they, they used before. And I think that was um, in this new dynamic where if she's unhappy with that, she can publicize that on Twitter or on Instagram. And effectively, they can, they can you know, boycott. We can use her fans, which could run number in the millions. Right. Have there's you know there's this you know domino effect where if you, if you lose hundreds of thousands of readers, you lose ad revenue, which you know makes a precarious situation even more precarious. And I I do think artists are aware of their power in this situation. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm curious. This this story that you wrote is obviously very critical of uh, the effects of stand culture on music journalism and on the role of the critic, but is there anything positive that you see coming out of this type of super fandom online? Oh, absolutely. It's, it's, it has a very positive core. As I, as I say in the piece, it's, it allows artists to interact with their fandom directly. It cuts out the middleman of it, where the magazines were used to be like the middleman. They used to be the voice for artists and the letters pages used to be the voice for their fans but now through instagram and twitter and tumblr and all these different social media uh, sites fans can interact with their favorite artist and be interacted with each other as well so it is a way to form gen- form genuine friendships and also just like discover real neat easter eggs and songs that may not be there and from, i get also from the artist's perspective as well it's really it's really useful for them to have these stan armies because it is is almost like a guarantee for them as well that they will sell this number of records or that have streams or have this number of likes on instagram or retweets it gives them a stability and almost and as i say like this sort of power core behind them yeah yeah that makes sense another major part of your story was talking about how this culture is kind of pushing the critic to focus maybe more on the narrative behind the artist rather than just thinking about the art itself or or mainly thinking about the art itself. And again, you talked about Lizzo here coming out with her album with really strong messages around body positivity and mental health issues and recovery and sort of seeing how if there was any criticism of the actual music itself that the stands kind of took that to task mm. am i getting that right yeah 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 um i was quite wary when writing it of speaking patronizingly about the stands like um but i think it's not something that's just for stands it's something that's quite become difficult for even for um, myself as someone who's supposed to be doing this as a job it's often quite hard to disentangle the narrative from the actual art itself because it is so circumstantial to it, it is so tied up within it and you look at any album any film any you know photo exhibition that comes around today the first few paragraphs and everything it has a theme to it there's a through line there's a character there's a personality in it and it's it's you it, you sometimes feel bad for maybe criticizing something if it has like a, it has like a good message or it's trying like really hard to be good you do feel like quite guilty for criticizing it which is part I guess of the 
the PR cycle because they, they try so hard to, you know, um, distinguish their artists. As I say, like there's so much, so many albums coming out now, there's so many films, TV shows that you need a hook, you need a theme that's really positive and it's going to compel and grab people. And yeah. it's really just uh, it's tied up now where we're in a stage where it's quite tough to criticise, say, a song for having a, a boring melody without that being seen as a criticism of the artist as being untalented or being boring themselves. Right, right. Do you think that that's necessarily a bad thing, that it's really hard to disentangle the artist from the art? I think I don't think it's necessarily a, a bad thing. Without going uh, too too hard into the you know the dis- disentangling art from the artist, because I feel like the um, you know obviously with the the rise of Me Too and cancellations, that's like inarguably a good thing. Right. You know, th- this is on um, it's like a separate conversation where it's more about. So I just I just assume that problematic and terrible artists like that's that's a like an inarguable good in this context i just think it's it's more it's more interesting and unspoken of in this side where if someone is a good person if they are or they they as far as we know they are they are a good person and their artist their art is interesting so how do we discuss them um i think it's like i think there's like two separate conversations almost yeah how do you discuss them with nuance? How do you analyze mm. what you're actually hearing mm. in addition to sort of taking into consideration their messages? Mm. I think that Pitchfork review actually did it in a really, really good job because um, the first few paragraphs they were discussing Lizzo's really heartwarming and uplifting career trajectory to this point and the value of the songs and the value of what this means to her fans and to the stands and just even casual listeners as well. Um, right. These songs have a real personal meaning, and she, uh, the the writer, um, she, you know, she flags up that she also has uplifted by the songs. So if you actually allude as a critic, if you, you know, reference the positivity of the art and the, you know, the the moral meaning behind it, while also making the point that it does it isn't lived up to in the art itself. So I think it's I think it's uh, there's definitely a way you can do it in a nuanced way, and I think I'd h- highly recommend the Pitchfork review of Lizzo's album as as you know, the perfect example of how to do that successfully while paying respect to both the role of a critic and to the artist's message. Yeah, but still, you talked about how that um, review got a lot of flack mm. from Lizzo stands, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. I think there's there's always going to be a backlash. Um, to anything that's going to be critical of your artist's music. Um, right. I guess that's part of stand culture, but it's also just part of, like, um, I guess, like, just human behavior, that if we like if we like something, we, we might be more blind to its issues since we are so, we are so invested in it already. How would you want to see this issue addressed? I mean, you are a journalist, and this affects you personally, and, like, how do we kind of navigate this issue where we have super fandom and all of its positive things, but then sort of the negative consequences that come with that? Do you have any ideas for how we can kind of get out of this cycle? I think 
the most important thing is that artists are held to greater account for how they effectively weaponize their fan bases. I think obviously not to you know take too much agency from the fans who do send abuse to writers and journalists and that's that sort of thing. But the artists, I feel almost the vast majority of them are fully aware of that's what their fans will do in that circumstance. So I feel they need to be held to greater account and in their knowledge that they have they have this power, they have these legions of people who adore them and will do loads of great things for them, but also some some bad things. Um, and I think the first step is that artists need to be, yeah, need to be held up, be more accountable um, measures in place. It's quite interesting because I feel that this is in a constantly evolving, this is an evolving conversation. So I, I'm not sure how it's it's going to change. Whether it will be get worse in terms of the critic have even more expectations thrust upon them to just you know regurgitate press releases or ask unimposing unobtrusive easy questions for celebrity profiles it's quite yeah it's quite hard to think think of a, like a constructive way out of this without the artists themselves changing their behavior yeah i think that that makes sense um my last question is just how have people reacted to your story and kind of your analysis of this situation like have you been trolled at all for this um, i've had a couple of chris brown trolls um oh, okay but um that's that's uh, literally a bit uh, um, most of the response has been quite positive See, people seem to have received it well but um yeah i think as such a, an especially toxic fan base as chris brown is right there's always there's always going to be some threat from there but in general has been yeah i've been quite pleasantly surprised by how many people seem to be in agreement which has been, which has been nice yeah, that's nice and validating. Yeah, yeah, it really is. <laughs> thanks so much, Kieran. This was really interesting. Uh, th- thanks so much for speaking to me. I've really enjoyed it. You can read the full story at id.vice.com. That's it for now. Thanks so much for listening. And make sure to tune in again on Monday for another Vice Guide to Right Now. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.